Hello and welcome to Podcast by Brodies. My name's David Lee and in this podcast, part of the health and safety series, we discuss what it's like to participate in a fatal accident inquiry. Why do we have fatal accident inquiries or FAIs? Who takes part in them and what happens? I'm joined by two guests to help us answer these questions and many more. Malcolm Gunyan is a partner at Brodies specialising in health and safety and Fiona Meek is Risk and Safety Manager at Village Hotels. Malcolm and Fiona will discuss their different perspectives of being involved in an FAI, how lawyers and clients work together throughout the process, and what it's like to give evidence at an FAI. Welcome, Malcolm and Fiona. Malcolm, to kick us off, can you tell us simply what is a fatal accident inquiry and in what circumstances are they held? Thanks, David. Uh, so a fatal accident inquiry is it's a public hearing. And its purpose is to establish the cause of a sudden, unexplained or suspicious death. So there's a whole legislative framework that goes around them, but that's their fundamental purpose. A public inquiry to establish the circumstances of unexplained deaths. And can you give us some examples of FAIs that have taken place in Scotland that people might have heard of? And... On the converse, I suppose, what are the reasons why in certain circumstances a fatal accident inquiry wouldn't take place? So they are, they're mandatory in certain circumstances. So if somebody dies whilst at work or if they die in custody, so in, in police custody or in a prison, then uh, an FAI must be held. There, um, the statute is clear on that. In other circumstances, it's up to the Crown um, when they are held. And the general test is whether there's um, serious public interest in understanding why the death occurred. Um, Quite often they are high profile, as you would expect, and there have been a number in Scotland over the last few years that I suspect lots of people will have heard of. Um, there was the inquiry into the Sumbra helicopter crash. There was the um, the inquiry into the Louisa fishing boat that capsized where three of the crew were lost. Um, and I guess one that gives a, a good example of the difference between discretionary and mandatory inquiries is the Clutha helicopter crash where... As most people will know, um, a helicopter crashed into the Clutha Bar in the, in the centre of Glasgow. And in that uh, scenario, the, the inquiry was mandatory in terms of the two pilots on board the helicopter because they were at work. But it was discretionary in relation to the, the customers who were, were in the pub. They clearly weren't in custody um, and they weren't employed so or they weren't in their employment at that time. So the, that the Crown could have said they weren't going to have an inquiry for, for their deaths, but clearly significant public interest where um, a, a commercial helicopter crashes onto the, on the roof of a pub. So, um, so that's why the inquiry was held to cover all of those deaths in that set of circumstances. Okay. And who makes that uh, decision, Malcolm? Who decides if an FAI is, is necessary, uh, if it is a discretionary one, as you've described? And all. And, and, and ultimately, what is an FAI? What is it there to do? What is its, is, is its purpose? So it's always the Crown Office or the Crown Office and Procurator Fiscal Service who will decide um, if a discretionary inquiry is to be, to be held or not. Um, quite often, one of the reasons they might decide not to hold an inquiry is if there's been a prosecution following a health and safety incident and they take the view that 
all of the issues that might be considered at an inquiry have actually been covered off in the, the prosecution. So there's no need to have everybody involved go through all of those issues again, and, and particularly family members who will have found the prosecution process traumatic. If there isn't anything going to be achieved by an inquiry, why uh, put the family members through that trauma for a second time? So arguably there's no public interest in having an inquiry in those circumstances. But it is a question of discretion for the Crown. The family do have a right to have that decision reviewed. So if the Crown decide not to have an inquiry, then the the family can ask for that to be reviewed by a, a more senior person within Crown Office. And in terms of its purpose, it has two main objectives. One is to establish the circumstances of the death, why it occurred, when it occurred, how it occurred. It's not about apportioning blame or liability. It's purely looking at um, the factual circumstances and understanding how how people came to be killed. And the second aspect, and, and perhaps the, the more involved aspect of inquiry quite often, is to look at what steps could have been taken to avoid that that death or those deaths and what steps can be taken in the future to avoid similar deaths occurring in similar circumstances. So essentially making recommendations for changes to working practices, to safe systems of work, to legislation, to government guidance, to make sure that so far as possible, similar deaths are avoided in the future. It's an interesting point there, Malcolm, when you talk about it's not there to apportion blame. Is that a challenge sometimes for bereaved relatives who are taking part in, in FAIs? That they, is it easy for them to make that distinction? Are they looking, very often people say we're looking for answers. Is that a bit of a challenge at times? More often than not, a fatal accident inquiry will come after a prosecution process. So if... Um, if there has been a health and safety prosecution, that will have been dealt with, that will have determined criminal liability in the context of um, health and safety law. So it's it's usually, I'm not going to say it's easy for the families to be involved in an FAI, clearly it's not, but they've had that finding of fault. They've been, someone has either pled guilty um, or the court and potentially a court and a jury has determined that they they were at fault for what happened. So I don't think it makes the process any easier, but there is an understanding that that's not the role of the the fatal accident inquiry. I can see that that is more difficult if there hasn't been a prosecution, Um, if for whatever reason the Crown felt perhaps there just wasn't sufficient evidence to meet the criminal standard of proof, Um, but there would still be an FAI and then the family are, are... I can understand that they're not only looking for answers, but they're looking for someone to accept responsibility um, or for the the court to say someone is responsible. And that's not the purpose of the FAI. So I can see that that would be a more difficult set of circumstances for them to to accept the the more limited scope of, of an inquiry. Okay, and we'll talk a bit more later on about about the role of families and so on. Uh, but what about the lawyers to begin with, Malcolm? Um, what when do you become involved in the process of a fatal accident inquiry, and what is your specific role? So, quite often, I say more often than not, we will have been involved in the the wider incident that gives rise to the inquiry. Quite often, from as soon as the incidents happen. So we'll have been advising the client on 
um, the investigation there, the immediate incident response, um, how they uh, how they deal with whether it's an HSE investigation or a police investigation, then we'll have been advising through the prosecution process. So quite often we, the FAI for us is the last stage in the process and we'll have been involved from the outset. That's if we're acting for you know, the employer who has, uh, whose employees have been, been killed. It's perhaps different if you are acting for one of the parties who isn't involved in the prosecution process. Um, so, for example, a trade union or um, quite often the police or, or the fire service are involved in the inquiries. They wouldn't be involved in the prosecution. They would only get involved at the stage that um, the Crown decides to hold an inquiry and um, public notice is issued of that. And our role would start at that point. Um, and the, what we have to do then is very quickly get up to speed with what the incident is, what the background and what the issues are that the inquiry is going to deal with. So that's probably the latest point we get involved when the, the actual inquiry process starts. But more often than not, we've been involved from from day one. OK, thanks very much for that, Malcolm. And Fiona, if I can come to you. Can you just explain initially how you came to work together with Malcolm uh, during a fatal accident inquiry, please? Um, in, in summary, it came together in December 21, which was approximately four years after an incident that happened um, at one of the organisations that I work for. Um, I was advised that I would be classed as an interested party um, in a fatal accident inquiry by the Crown. And for that, I required to be legally represented. So um, at that point, um, as a company, we were with another um firm and um, I had to seek to find um, my own legal representation and hence um, Malcolm um, and I became I suppose in many ways um, colleagues in regards to um, working together to present the best position for myself um, think for me as personally it was up until that point I was anonymous in a company and all of a sudden I then became named um, and it started us to gather information. The hardest bit um, at that point was for Malcolm to get up to speed shall we say I'd been involved in something for a period of time um, for approximately four years and knew a lot about something and Malcolm was just fresh um, in but clearly he was the expert in regards to the process and what that would look like, whereas I was the expert as to what had happened up until that point. Um, it then became um, a new relationship, it's fair to say, um, but a lot of that was round about gathering information and gathering trust on both sides that both of us um, had different parts to play in this jigsaw puzzle. Okay, and what was most helpful? You've touched on it a little bit there, but what was most helpful in what Malcolm was able to bring to support you through that process? Malcolm clearly is an expert um, in his own right and an expert in the whole process. I had never gone through this before and in my career, I never want to go through it again, it's fair to say. Um, and especially in my role in health and safety, a fatal accident inquiry is one of those things that we read about, we learn about, um, we study, um, but we also hope that in our careers, we never, ever, ever need to be involved in it. This was putting into action what I'd read in a book. Um, however, to 
have the expertise and the knowledge of someone that had been through it um, really, really helped um, the process, um, the how everyone fitted into that process. Clearly, I was very uncertain um, and I had to put a lot of trust, it's fair to say, in Malcolm. And he had, I suppose, in many ways, put a lot of trust in me. I had a lot of questions and I'm sure Malcolm will smirk um, when um, round about that, that I had a lot of questions. Um, but I firmly believed that no question was a silly question, that I had to really understand this process inside out, that this was about um, Fiona. It wasn't about, it was about how I best could present as that interested party to A, ensure that I could represent myself the best but also to represent and to assist in this fatal accident inquiry because ultimately it was about assisting a process to ensure that something never happened again how can we be better at what we actually do um, so it was giving me the encouragement um, giving me the professionalism um, and talking through the the process as to what was coming next um, and a few times um, I was advised, um, Fiona, just leave it with me, um, trust me. Um, and, you know, I did trust them um, and I trusted the process and trusted um, the advice that I was given. Um, was it daunting? Yes. Did I feel vulnerable? Yes. Um, but for me, um, I felt as prepared as I could um, going into um a very unusual set of circumstances um, and I understand as well that each one of these is different it's, it, it's not there's not one size fits all that each one of these is different but the framework and the process is the same um, and I definitely felt that I had the right person standing I'll say next to me I'm sure sometimes he wanted to be behind me and I know that sometimes I definitely pushed him in front of me um, but that wasn't deliberate it was just um, he was the best placed person in, in my opinion um, that gave me that level of support and the confidence that the process would work and that it wasn't personal as I first thought it, but that's just me as an individual and a lot of us think that I was part of a company and all of a sudden it was me it was Fiona it wasn't the company it was Fiona that was being having to stand there okay thanks very much really well described and and Malcolm uh, first of all anything to add to to that relationship between yourself and Fiona and how that worked but also then going on to what supports available to those taking part in the fatal accident inquiry from the wider framework, not just from their uh, their lawyer, but from that wider FAI framework. So no, I think I think Fiona has described it um, very well indeed, and and very kindly in terms of um, support she got from from me and and the team. Um, it, that is an example, David, as we were talking about a minute or two ago about coming into an inquiry at a relatively late stage. So I hadn't been involved in the original incident. I hadn't been involved in any of the procedures up to that point. So Fiona and I were thrust together, I guess is the the right way of putting it, about two weeks before the first procedural hearing in the inquiry. And, and I think Fiona has, she summed it up really well. My role was to explain to her what was going to happen, what the process was going to be, to make sure that she didn't have to worry about you know, court rules and fatal accident inquiry procedure rules. But I needed her to get me up to speed really quickly on what this was all about, you know, the history. Um, so it, it's very much, it's not a, a lawyer um, advising the client. It was definitely a, a, a team approach because we had a limited period of time to get ready. 
and we both had to to support each other in that so it's it is definitely a a sort of team approach in my view when you get into these situations it's 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 not just the client um doing what the lawyer says it's it's working together and achieving the the best outcome in terms of support um so it's always the crown who leads a fatal accident inquiry so they arrange the witnesses um, and witnesses will be given support in the same way as a witness attending um, any other kind of court hearing the scottish court service has um, teams who will look after them who will make sure they know where to go um, what time they're giving evidence give them somewhere to, to wait um, the families have a particular role uh, as you would entirely expect in a fatal accident inquiry and the legislation requires there to be a specific charter about family liaison so they will be supported in a lot more detail through the inquiry process by um, the crown office and the, the victim information service so they'll be they'll be updated as the process is ongoing they'll be told when the procedural hearings are happening who the interested parties are and, and Fiona and I both talked about interested parties they are um, the people that people or the organisations that the the court thinks have information that's relevant to the inquiry. So they are things like employers, um, the families themselves of, of those who were killed. Um, sometimes people like Fiona who have senior positions in organisations where they have background information relevant to um, health and safety management or procedures, trade unions, um, as I've said already, fire and rescue service, police. Um, so some of these interested parties clearly are you know, corporate organisations and don't require much in the way of support. They'll have their own legal teams. Um, but when the families are interested parties, they might choose to actively be involved in the inquiry they might choose to be represented by a solicitor but if they're not then they're supported by the victim information service and they'll be updated on all the procedural steps who's involved in the inquiry what the issues are that the inquiry is going to to address they'll be consulted on these things as well they'll be given the chance to to feed in both in the build-up to the inquiry and during the, the inquiry hearing itself they will be um, regularly um, in contact with with the crown, unable to indicate issues they'd like to be considered, things that are concerning them in the way that um, information is coming out. So they they are as involved in the process as they want to be, and some families want to be very involved. Others um, just want to move on, and and they recognise the process has to happen, but they don't want to to be actively involved. Um, but whatever level of involvement there is, um, a significant level of support there for them. So Fiona, you talked earlier on about your vulnerability and how challenging you found the experience, um, but wanting to, you know, present yourself and your role in, in the best possible way. So how well supported and well informed did you feel about going into that FAI process? I felt very informed and very supported, it's fair to say. Um, I also, I suppose, in many ways did some things that were unique. Um, and as I've said before, every fatal accident inquiry is unique. Um, and I asked um, Malcolm if he could arrange for me to have access to the courtroom where the hearing was going to be. And that was so that I could understand and where people were going to be seated. Because it's okay looking at it on a sheet of paper, but when you walk into that room um, in the morning, um, 
when you've been called. All of a sudden, I just wanted to know where people were going to be seated, where the family were going to be seated, how to gain access into the area. Um, and for me, that was part of it was the the preparation in terms of what was going to happen in that morning. In regards to information and the process as a whole, I felt very informed. I felt like the, there was no surprises um, that I was unaware of. Um, but for me as well, it was understanding all the information that I had and had I read the information and did I have the information in my head um, because I didn't know what question was going to be asked of me. Even though I had an idea, Malcolm had an idea, there's still a few questions that were asked that I wasn't we weren't 100% thinking we're going to come, but they did. But I knew what the information, I knew I knew the case well enough. Um, so, Malcolm, one thing we've not talked about is the potential impact of uh, media reporting on a fatal accident inquiry, especially on the, the reputation of, 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 of certain participants. Mm. Uh, how would you reflect on that uh, potential reputational damage? And are there any restrictions on the media reporting of FAIs? I think that given that a fatal accident inquiry is being held at all, clearly there have been deaths and I deal most often with FAIs where someone has died during the course of their employment. So on any view that creates a reputational risk, particularly for their employer, it's it's not a good news story. No matter um, how well prepared for the inquiry you are, there is going to be media reporting, media coverage, because they are high profile, and it's not going to be positive. So again, I think by the time you get to the fatal accident inquiry, there's been quite a lot of media coverage for the the initial incident quite often, and certainly of the prosecution. So the company, the employer, is probably well prepared for that. They've been through a couple of media cycles around the incident. Um, They're not going to be surprised by it. But for individuals, people like Fiona, who become involved in an inquiry as an an interested party, as Fiona said earlier, they have been anonymous in the process up to that point. And all of a sudden, they are a named party in the inquiry. They're giving evidence. Um, And although there's no television recording inside a fatal accident inquiry, they do find themselves being photographed on the way into court photograph walking out of court at the end of the day, there are concerns that their name will appear in a a press report at the end of the day, and they might be criticised, not so much by the sheriff in in final determination of the inquiry, but by the media. So I think there's, there's always reputational risk for the companies. And then when you have individuals, suddenly they find themselves thrust into that, that risk as well. Um, there aren't many restrictions on reporting. Uh, you're, as I said earlier, you're not allowed to film inside the inquiry, but the press will attend um, and there will be daily reports of what's gone on in the inquiry, what the evidence is, um, accompanied quite often by photographs of the witnesses and the parties coming in and out of court. So it's, it is intended to be a public process for good reason. There is public interest in what these inquiries are considering, but it's a very exposed public place if you are um, a family member, an interested party, even just just a significant witness, um, it will attract a lot of media attention. 
Okay, thank you, Malcolm. And and what happens at the end of an FAI? Uh, you know, what next for those directly involved? So the outcome of any inquiry is what's called the determination by the sheriff. So the sheriff will issue effectively a judgment at the end of the inquiry, and that will deal with a number of um, elements, noting what the cause of the death was, when it occurred, why it occurred. Um, and as I said, think at the outset of our conversation, perhaps the most important part of it is what can or should be changed for the future. So the quite often the determination will include a number of recommendations about changes that have to be made, might be very direct recommendations that a certain thing has to happen or stop happening. Equally, it might be a recommendation to the Scottish government to establish a working group to look at certain things or that there should be an industry approach or change in industry approach as to how a certain piece of machinery is used or a certain process is carried out. Um, and that that's the conclusion of the process, a written determination setting out how the death occurred, why it occurred, and a series of recommendations to prevent similar deaths happening in the future. And again, the interested parties, they'll be talked through that by their legal team. The families will have that explained to them by um, the victim support team within the Crown Office. OK, thanks very much. And Fiona, when you look back at your own experience of being involved uh, in, in an FAI, I guess, what are your reflections and what would you say to someone else who found themselves in a similar position to, you know, help them through the process, I guess? Um, number one is trust the process and trust the person, um, your lawyer who is with you. Um, it's their bread and butter and it's un a unique experience for you. Be prepared um, and I suppose the, easy to say, but try not to take it personally. Um, it's not personal. Um, it has developed me as a person. Um, I have learnt lots. Um and try and, I suppose, in many ways, downplay the frustrations. You will get frustrated um, over the length of time some of the processes take. Um, and we work in a business that's fast-paced business. Um, and sometimes um, the court doesn't and the legal system doesn't move as quick as a business moves. But it's um, it's not personal. Trust the person and have ultimate trust. Um, be open and honest um, with your lawyer. Um, don't hide anything. Um, tell them the truth. Um, that, that obviously, you're there to tell the truth anyway, but be really transparent with what your fears are as well. Um, and if you tell them what their fears are, they'll be able to um, give you some advice and guidance to get you through that process in the best possible way. Um, I know I asked lots of questions and I know that every time that I saw um, Malcolm, that he would look at my, my file that I would pull out my bag with loads of sticky notes all over it and think, oh my goodness, we're only on sticky note 25. Um, but the process works. Thanks very much indeed to Fiona Meek and to Malcolm Gunyan for their excellent insights today into the process of a fatal accident inquiry. You've been listening to Podcasts by Brodies, uh, where some of the country's leading lawyers and special guests share their enlightened thinking about the issues and developments having an impact on the legal sector and what that means for organisations, businesses and individuals across the various sectors of the UK economy and wider society. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe to Podcast by Brodies, which you can find by searching on all of your favourite podcast platforms. 
And for more information and insights, please visit www.brodies.com. 